0: Bismillah. Bismillah ar-Rahman rahim Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Allahumma salli wa sallam wa zil wa ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Ala alihi wa sahbihi wa So we're starting a new book this week. I don't think it will take that long. Um, (coughs) It's called Prophetic Grappling We'll talk about it When we get there inshallah This is not referring to As some of the brothers and sisters apparently thought This is not referring to grappling with your emotions This is referring to Actual fighting Okay. So (laughs) uh, Alhamdulillah So let me just say a little bit To begin So, this book is called Prophetic Grappling. Prophetic Grappling. And it's basically two parts. So the first part is written by this brother, Nisar Sheikh, who's actually a second degree black belt in jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and has studied different martial arts forms, and he teaches in the UK, lives in the UK. And the second part of it, or the end of it, is a small essay from Imam Suyuti uh, Imam Suyuti has come up before, but he died in 9-11, I think it was, after Hijra. And uh, he was very, very prolific. Like, he basically wrote about everything. So, it's not surprising that you're like, huh, I wonder if anyone wrote about wrestling in Muslim history, and then you find that Imam Suyuti wrote about it. You're like, oh, okay, I'm not surprised. Like, he he wrote about everything, subhanAllah. It's amazing. Um, so, I, I you know, when I first... Uh, my wife that I wanted to do this book she was like that sounds like a really good book for a men's retreat <laughs> <laughs> I was like yeah I understand what you're saying there is a section on here on women warriors from the time of the prophets and in the, which we'll get to but uh, I actually don't th- I mean like I agree but part of why I think it's important to do this text is that we need to uh, take these kind of things more seriously and uh, what do I mean by that? <coughs> we talk many times here about the Hadith of Jibreel, salam, and how the Hadith of Jibril teaches us that there's the mind and there's the body and there's the soul. So there's things in our religion that teach us how to deal with our mind, teaches things that teach us how to deal with our soul, there's things that teach us how to deal with our body. And sometimes the body is as simple as, like, you should do this with people, you shouldn't do that. This is when you pray. This is, but there's a lot, that's the most basic facet. But there is a relationship between One's physical well-being and health And their spiritual well-being It's not necessarily that like You're automatically out If you're not physically healthy But there is a relationship And there's a reason why uh, So many of the people of knowledge and stuff They really put emphasis on the food that they eat There's a reason for that Because the food that I eat Has a consequence on my physical Um... Uh, Constitution And that has a Consequence to my spiritual Actual reality My emotional and spiritual reality So um, For example I mean we know this right Like sometimes you think Oh my Iman is just It's gotten so bad I just wake up And I don't feel good And my Iman is so bad No your iman's not bad You haven't been eating properly And you're not getting enough sleep And you don't exercise And you're just depressed That's not your Iman That's other things going on with you in your life that they are related like your overall well-being is related to these issues are interconnected and one of the things we find about the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is that that was very uh, real to him Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam you know like the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is we know from when we studied the Shema that he was very strong you know part of that of course is divine gift because he's the Prophet But also it's because of the way that he lived, Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We have countless narrations. And he was very brave. You know, there was a sound in the middle of the night that everyone was afraid. And they went out, they got to the outskirts of the city, and they saw the Prophet riding back. And he's riding back on the horse with the sword just like thrown over his shoulder, and there's no saddle. And he's riding back, and he's saying, it's okay, it's all right. I already checked it out, everything's fine. That's the Prophet, Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It's not just like, you know, this really cuddly... You know, really sweet, cuddly guy. <laughs> which I think sometimes, like, that's our perspective. He's just like, the Prophet must have been such a sweet, cuddly guy. Like, of course, he was very sweet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he was very nice, sallallahu alayhi was sallam. And he would eat very little, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he would walk as if he's walking down, the speed at which he walked was as if he's walking down a the hill. They say it was as if the earth was rolling up under his feet, sallallahu alayhi was And he didn't sleep very much. Not because he was trying to neglect himself, because he didn't need it, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He was very strong. Um, and this, of course, is the nature of his people as a whole. Like I, you know, I think that sometimes, we've probably seen it, like people who have traveled, even, even today, people who have traveled, you've probably seen it. Like even in cities. You go to a city, you leave one city, you go to another city. But that life in that city is harder. And you see the people, and you're like, wow, these people are tough. SubhanAllah, like they're just really strong. And if you take, like, someone from Orange County and you put them there, it's going to be tough for them. Like, it's going to take some adjustment. They just don't have the same thing. It might not be that they have, like, the biggest muscles in the world, but they don't have the same strength. And now we're talking about, like, actual physical strength that sometimes people have. They have ability to bear things, right? which is important. If you if you want to do something, you have to have the ability to bear things. Right? You have to just, like, okay, I'm going to... I can handle it It's a little bit hot I can handle it It's a little bit cold I can handle it I'm a little bit hungry I can handle it I'm very tired I can handle it I'm frustrated I can handle it I'm lonely I can handle it Like there has to be some Some like strength To the, to the person And this is actually a fundamental issue To the sunnah Of the Prophet And who he was And the way that he was And the way that he taught people And the, the way That those people were uh, These people Like the companions Of the Prophet Especially in Mecca These are a desert people. Like if you deal, if you meet and you deal with desert people, there's certain people, you meet them, they're always strong. They're always find them strong. People who live in the desert, they're always strong. People who live on the ocean, not like on the beach, (laughs) like they're actually in the water, like on the boats all the time, sailors and stuff like that. They'll always be strong. You meet people who live in mountains, they'll always be strong. Uh, generally speaking Farmers They'll always be strong And if you think about it today Even like people think about Different things You can think about Muslims throughout history So on and so forth There's certain peoples They're always strong Sometimes it's just because They've always lived in conflict Sometimes it's because They lived in conflict And they live in a place That also is difficult to live in Like it's high in the mountains Or it's in the desert Or whatever else it might be and Human beings are stronger Than, we, th- than they, we think we are We're a lot stronger Than we think we are But you know Experiences make people also A little bit tougher So part of why I want to do this Is because we have to (coughs) Like The martial arts In a sense Like if you break it down In a very simple sense The martial arts Were a part of the life Of the people around the Prophet Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam It's very much a part of their life So it'll come up in here But like The Prophet Sallallahu alayhi wa Definitely encouraged people Towards certain things he definitely encouraged people towards archery. He definitely encouraged people towards wrestling. He definitely encouraged people towards foot races, like being able to run and have some stamina and stuff like that. He definitely encouraged swimming, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And actually, like the sport, and there's a section here that will come. Sport in the time of the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi them, And this is not to throw shade on anything that people do now for fun or what I spent a lot of my life doing. It was purposeful. It was very clear. Like, you know, these people, they didn't have... We- we live in like these really comfortable, moder- moder- comfortable modern situations where we're kind of like lulled into the illusion that life is always gonna be like easy and comfortable and we'll always get what we want. And the most difficulty we might have is like, I don't know, we have to wake up early one day and like drive and AC to work. Like they were not under this illusion. These were people who knew at any time another people can come and raid your town and kill you and take all of your property and take your women and your children as slaves. This was their reality. Right? So I mean this is it's a very harsh reality, but it's a reality. So that means that the way that you live is going to be different. Like one of the things that comes up here is that in the time of the Prophet in Mecca, there's no standing army. Like, yeah, as Islam grows and like they start to conquer different lands and stuff, you start to have the idea of a standing army, right? Like a people who are conscripted to be soldiers and they're gonna take care of your business basically, <laughs> right? They didn't have that in Mecca. In Mecca, everyone who lives in the town is, is, a, is a soldier. Had, even the women a lot of times. But like every, basically every adult male is, you can rely on them in that sense. Like they'll be able to handle certain things, they can, they can shoot an arrow, they can run, they can push some things, they can wrestle, they can get in a fight, they can handle themselves at some at some level. Which uh, is really important to understand. Again, these are not just matters of like, oh, I want to be strong and like take pictures and post them on Instagram. It's not what we're talking about. Okay, it's a matter of like, and anyone who trains the martial arts knows this. Anyone, there's some people in the room I can tell (laughs) that they do like you. There's, it's not. He mentions it in here too. Like, (coughs) there's a discipline to it. You do something every single day. You do something every other day. There's a, there's a discipline to that experience. Like the experience of, of grappling. There's, a, there's like wrestling or submitting, submission, wrestling, stuff like this. There's things you're going to learn from that spiritually that you cannot learn otherwise. Like you want to talk about building resilience, building patience, stuff like that. There's only so much patience you can build telling yourself you should be patient. But like if you're going to train every single day You're going to build patience uh, There's only so much humility you can teach yourself Without like actually feeling the experience of choking You're going to understand humility very differently When you're being choked Than when you're not being choked It's very different right? You're going to understand humility very differently When your arm is going to break If you don't tap If your arm is not going to break It's just different So that experiential knowledge is actually really important there's, there is something to this It's not just a physical thing It's a spiritual thing And so the way of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Is to kind of uh, At least like uh, You know Like human beings I, I don't know how to explain this Not everyone has to be like In the best shape or something Right Not everyone has to like Pretend like they're tough And stuff like that This isn't it at all But like People should not be like um, Weak Not weak But like yeah, that's close, it? Lazy. It's like sometimes I'm talking to my son and I'm like stand here, you know? And he stands there. I just kinda like push him. John and he kinda sorry. just like <laughs> does that thing, you know? like, And I'm like, can you just, just stand there? And like try it again. I can just push you. <laughs> what I'm trying like human beings should not just be like that. Like that's, that's not what Allah didn't make us like that Allah made us with honor Allah gave us strength He gave us dignity He gave us spiritual well-being He gave us emotional well-being Like we should be able to stand And things hit us And we don't fall This is what I'm trying to say right? Like something hits you And you don't fall Or something hits you And you fall And you get up And there's like some great clips Actually of Muhammad Ali like that Like one time when he got Knocked down And he was up like Immediately you know, He's Like I'm not gonna stay down I'm gonna get back up and this is a. There's again. These are these things are all connected. We shouldn't fall for this uh, individualization thing. Like there's just physical strength, and then there's being really smart, and then there's like making a lot of money, and then there's I don't know being, whatever, uh, that else might be. Because all these things go together, and we should seek to be well-rounded. Uh, and some interesting examples will come up in here. And many of the early scholars, by the way, they were like this. It's said about Imam Muslim, the collector of hadith. That he wouldn't write the hadith until he's done it. So he was actually known to be like a master archer. He was known to be really good at horseback riding and stuff like that. Because like, if I'm going to write the hadith, I have to know these things. Like horseback riding is really a shame that we don't have that so much anymore. And uh, we had the chance to do it when we were in Colombia. Like it's it's a really interesting experience. You know, how many people have been horseback riding? Isn't it a really interesting experience? It's amazing Like you sit on this horse And you feel like I, I felt like I really understood The idea of horsepower. <laughs> you <know? laughs> Like you sit on the horse And you feel like SubhanAllah This is a powerful animal But then at the same time You know like Okay But I'm the one That's riding this animal mm. And we have to establish A relationship and we have to like Understand each other It's really an amazing thing SubhanAllah You have to feed it first And give it water You have to feed it You have to get her. You know it's very amazing So anyways Let's start the book has these different sections. Again, most of the intro stuff is like introducing the topic. Okay, so he starts off by praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We're not going to read every single verse in this one. Uh, in the In the foreword, he says something nice. He says, Islamic wrestling by which is meant wrestling per the Islamic code of conduct and practice is amongst the most important sports and exercises in Islam and via which a Muslim develops the strength and endurance to obey God and strive in his path. It is enough of an honor and privilege for Muslim grapplers who observe the Islamic code of conduct that the most beloved, our great Prophet ﷺ, grappled. He grappled with Rukana ibn Abi Yazid, Abdul Yazid who, which subsequently resulted in his conversion to Islam. So it's a famous narration. We went over it in the Shema too. That there was a man who was like the leading wrestler of his time. And <coughs> the Prophet Sallallahu Wasallam went to him. There's different narrations. But he basically went to him and look how like he understood how to talk to people And that's actually a way of talking So he told him He said If I beat you in wrestling will you, com- will you convert to Islam? He was like What do you mean? Like I'm the best wrestler of our time and He's like yeah but if I beat you will you become Muslim? He's like okay And he beat him Sallallahu alayhi wa Like he grabbed him and they, they wrestled And he, he dropped him And he was like In some narrations he asked for like another round He's like, can we do it again? And he, he defeated him again, they الله عليه them. And then, you know, some narrations, he became Muslim afterwards. But that's like, again, he knows how to talk to him, number one. And number two is that he defeated Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, them, the best wrestler in his time. Uh, that's very significant. Uh, if, if you haven't done it, you probably wouldn't understand. Like, uh, and this is, again, like part of why it's important to do things. Like, if, if, you, if you haven't experienced it, you wouldn't understand. But I can tell you, with, like, the very limited experience that I've had in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, like, it's a very interesting experience to, like, actually wrestle with someone who knows what they're doing. It doesn't matter. Like, you think you're an adult, you think you have some weight, like, maybe a little bit of strength, and they'll completely destroy you as if you're nothing you have zero independent will like you know we just sit there and they literally do whatever they want with me without even trying so when the prophet when you say the prophet sallallahu alaihi them defeated the greatest wrestler in his time that's really significant actually it's not just a like oh that's a cool story type thing and if you don't believe it try it like try actually wrestling with someone and see you'll see like oh okay so they mentioned that in the intro then he continues, he praises Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala. Uh, Muslims relish and endeavor to fulfill every prophetic practice from his eating, sitting, engaging with the poor, dress, conduct with women, even to the very method by which he would relieve himself, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Everything is there in the Sunnah and we try to follow all of it, right? And one of the <coughs> things that the Prophet Sallallahu did was the noble arts, archery, swordsmanship, uh, horseback riding, wrestling. These were all established sports in the time of the Prophets and the with something. It's been spoken about from time to time, but, you know, these are things that, there's some things, I'm, I'm, I'm reading the book and we're teaching it because, like, it's the best thing we can do considering the circumstances we have, right? But what actually needs to happen is it needs to be done. <laughs> so... Why would you not write a whole lot about it? It's because if it's part of your culture, you don't need to write about it. You just do it, right? Like if everyone, if it's part of your culture, if you read, for example, the biography of Amir Abdul Qadr in Jazayri. You guys know Amir Abdul Qadr Jaza'iri, the great freedom fighter in Algeria who fought against the French. He was a sheikh, by the way. People think he was just like a, a fighter. Like he was a sheikh. His father was a sheikh. He was a sheikh. He was a sheikh of spirituality and a sheikh of knowledge but you read about his early life and like the way that he was raised he was like raised on a horse They're raised in the desert raised in, 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 in shooting arrows and raised in knowing the plants in the desert and how to use them and battle medicine and stuff like that so you don't need to write about it because you do it right? you, you don't have to sit and write a book about it everyone does it so we're just going to do it so these kind of things actually we need a culture around them that's my point that I'm trying to get at like yeah we read the book but we actually need a culture And the culture should be My opinion Especially when it comes to Like wrestling Grappling And these kind of things Is that people should train In these things Men and women Uh, There's no reason why You know Get the situation right But women can do it Men can do it And it's totally fine And everyone will learn a lot And benefit from it Inshallah We used to have it At the old majlis Some of you maybe remember The old majlis in orange We used to have open mat For the brothers On Sundays after the class It was really nice Alhamdulillah So like you know, a little bit worried for the structure of the building <laughs> But for the most part it was good I'm doing that. So the prophets I send them, They used to do these things uh, And this book is basically to talk about that <coughs> Okay, History of grappling In Islamic civilization There's a really cool footnote here I'm going to read it even though some people may not think it's as interesting As I do but nonetheless uh, He starts off by saying wrestling And by extension grappling in general Has undoubtedly existed since time immor- immemorial So like A lot of people are like, well, where did this art form initiate and so on and so forth? Like, everyone wrestles. (laughs) Everyone across the world wrestles. Old civilized, and everyone, like, there's two things we know. Everyone went to battle. Like, once human beings are human beings, everyone's going to battle. And part of that is going to be that everyone's wrestling. Like, this is pretty, like, this is the most fundamental engagement. Kids do it, right? Like, you put kids in a room together, take away the screens, and take away anything else for them to do. And within a few minutes, everyone's wrestling (laughs) and you're just hoping no one gets hurt and stuff. And like, that's what they're doing, you know? So grappling, here's the footnote on grappling. The difference between wrestling and grappling is one related to rules and objectives. One could argue that wrestling is a subset of the greater genre of grappling. Put simply, wrestling could be reduced to the art of taking an opponent down and pinning their shoulders to the ground. Grappling more widely would include stand-up wrestling, but also incorporate the use of submission, joint locks, chokes and muscle compressions found in ground wrestling. Modern wrestling has been limited to two, sh- two main strands, freestyle and Greco-Roman, both distinct from each other in uh, in which techniques are permitted and have been Olympic sports since their introduction in 1900. Other grappling arts, such as Sambo, Judo, and Jiu Jitsu, adding the complexity of the gi uh, with their myriad variations and rule sets broadly make up the remaining grappling genre. And then there's other things, right? So basically there's questions on if we're standing how do I get the person to the ground? And then there's questions on once we're on the ground, what do I do? Essentially, is what it's coming down to. So he's saying that this has existed from the time immemorial. Uh, kids do this from the time when they're young, and the um, our guidance with the law is related to our struggle. <laughs> that those who struggle in our way, they will be guided. There's many different kinds of struggle, but there is a guidance that we gain from struggling, even physically. <laughs> Uh, Here's some quotes that are interesting about Arabia. Now we go to Arabia. Because we want to understand what was the context of the Prophet ﷺ. Uh, One quote is, Wrestling was a popular pastime among the boys of Arabia. And they frequently fought each other. There was no malice in these fights. It was a sport and boys were trained in wrestling as one of the requirements of Arab manhood. It's very common for them to do. Even by the way, you look at it like you watch these nature shows and stuff. What are the cubs of the lion doing and the cubs of the king? The cubs are like sitting there and they're like play fighting. They're wrestling and they're playing. And doing that, they get to know themselves. That's one of the interesting things about wrestling too. It's like you get to know yourself in a way that you didn't know yourself before. You're like, oh, when I sit like that, I can feel it right there. But if I sit like this, it's a little bit different. And if I do this, there's pressure here and there's not pressure there. And okay, my body has a limit right there. And when I have that limit, I should turn a little bit and it's going to be a little bit different. Like all of these things you learn about yourself. In the course of it, and for young people, it's very, very important. Another quote raiding and fighting, as well as defending themselves against raids, were an integral part of their lives. The people in the time of the Prophet. Arabian culture was one of deep ancestral pride and tribal conflicts. You know, this was very common in the time of the Prophet. They were fighting each other all the time. Like you think about that story when they, built, they rebuilt the Kaaba, right? Well, how does the story go? They wanted to rebuild the Kaaba. All of the tribes came together to rebuild the Kaaba and the people in Mecca and they get to the last point and they have to put the black stone in and then everyone's like, we're the ones to put the black stone in. So this tribe, they want to put the black stone, they want to put the black stone, they start arguing about it. Then they say they start, they brought like, basically pots with blood in them, like animal blood in the pot. They stick their hand in the pot and they bring it out and this is their sign to say like, all right, we're fight, we're going to disagree on this. We're willing to take this all the way. Like we're going to fight on this issue all the way to the end. And then they're like, Maybe we should take an arbiter <laughs> <You know? laughs> It's like things are escalating a lot Maybe we should get someone else's opinion And they're like alright the next person who comes in Let's take their opinion And that's when the Prophet comes in And they're like oh alhamdulillah it's sadiq al Amin. No not alhamdulillah it's before Islam But sadiq al Amin, it's like the praiseworthy The trustworthy we're happy with this And he deals with the situation right But that was the situation like they were ready to go to war Amongst each other in these tribes Over, over this you know and it happens all the time in the Meccan period. Like certain companions would get attacked, other ones don't get attacked. Why? Because like, their tribe was really strong. and like, they're gonna So this was the reality of their situation. Uh, Arabian culture, Alexander the Great, arguably the greatest conqueror in recorded history, despite creating a dedicated navy to gather intelligence on this unknown land, Arabia, dispatching three naval missions and colonizing parts of the coastal areas of eastern Arabia, failed in conquering such a hardy people on a hostile land. Like even Alexander the Great was like, okay, this, the heart of the Arabian desert, I can't conquer these people. These people are a different level of like just toughness. No, this is before Islam. Oh. This is the, their different kind of toughness, like their way of life is just too difficult. We can't, we're not gonna be able to do that. So in the time of the Prophet Islam, with few marginal exceptions, all adult males were fighters. Uh, the military forces lacked any system of remuneration, fighting as they did for, bu- for booty, honor, or self-defense nor did they have any structure of command with coercive powers. It wasn't like, you know, you're going to get killed or something. There were certain tribal nobles, Ashraf, who owed their status to descent and other abilities, whatever. These are non-Muslims writing about it. The individual Bedouin tent preserved its own autonomy just as it provided its own substance and the warrior his own weapons. People had their own weapons. Like, this was the Prophet's house. When you read about his house, what was in his house? Salallahu name wa sallam. There's like a small pot for food and things. And then there's something you sleep on, like a mat, and there's the Prophet's bow, and there's like his spear, and there's his sword, sallallahu would send them, and that's his house, sallallahu would send them. maybe like one garment, that's his whole house. So this is the way that the people live, sallallahu so alayhi send them. Another quote, after the conquest of Spain, the Arabs had already built a vast empire, extending from the Atlantic shores to the Indus in about 100 years. While the Arabs began to develop their warfare system, they did not disdain to learn many lessons from the nations they already defeated. Arab writers and translators began to contribute invaluable treaties of, on war, archery, and chivalry. Again, people will look at this and they'll be like, well, it's about war and stuff. You Muslims are always talking about war. Like, pre-modern world, this was what everyone did. <laughs> if, you're, if you're the like, leaders of your people, like, what, if you're like the prince... What is the prince going to be trained in? Depending. The prince is going to read, of course, the intellectual stuff they need to read. And they're going to learn how to sword fight. And they're going to learn how to ride horses. And they're going to learn strategies of battle and war and so on and so forth. I mean, up to today, people don't get like, what is everyone, everyone who's like in business and stuff, what's the, everyone's favorite book? The art, of war. the art of war. Right? So like, there's a reason, there's a universality to the knowledge. You don't have to apply it to a battlefield, but there's a universality to the knowledge, to the understanding of how to interact and so on. In the sanctuaries, Mecca was very tough, as we mentioned. Even today when you go, the experience of Mecca is very different than the experience of Medina, right? You go to Mecca, it's like very rough, very hard, very difficult. You go to Medina, it's very soft. Like it's, You can feel like it's an agricultural town. It wasn't this bustling trade center that Mecca was. But the Prophet, goes from Mecca to, to Medina. And in Medina, of course, in the Medina period, there was a lot of battles and wars and stuff like that. Part of understanding of this is not just battle, right? But it's a way of living. The way of living of the Prophet was a very, like you could call it, like it's, you know, you read books on like how, how does a ninja live, or how does a samurai live, or how does, what's their code? Of, like the sunnah of the Prophet in many ways, it's almost like a martial code, you know? You eat in a particular way, you sit in a particular way. Like it's makruh to eat while laying down. You guys know that, right? Like the Prophet specifically said, you don't like lay and eat and like this kind of stuff, you know? He, sa- he sat and he ate in a very particular way. He, he did things in a particular way, so-, so that there's a strength to the person. The mosque was a picture of simplicity, free from every kind of elaboration. The walls were made of unbaked bricks. The palm leaf roof stood over pillars of palm tree trunks. The qibla was in the direction of Bayt al-Maqdis in Jerusalem, but then it was changed to Mecca. And the new door was made. The floor was left to its natural unpaved state. The floor was normal. You know It was just like Whatever the floor is It's kind of dirt Gravel maybe like You know It's basically dirt and sand Is the floor Part of why that matters Is what's going to come next Right When the Prophet Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam You ever think about it You know the story Of when the Abyssinians Were in the masjid Of the Prophet Sallallahu you know, would wa sallam And they were there On I think it was Eid And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi wa sallam Is with Sayyidah Aisha And it says that he's She's like behind him And she's looking And she's watching them Dance in the masjid Right First of all, like, non-modern dancing, it's usually very different than modern dancing, right? (laughs) It also, it usually looks like people are about to go to war. Like, they're kind of in a circle, they have some spears, they have some swords, they kind of like bounce around, and then they go to war. It's basically what dancing is. So when they're they're dancing in the mesjid, don't understand like a a music video or something. (laughs) Like, they probably have some spears, they're making some circles, they're watching this dance. Where is the prophet's house? She's watching from the door of her house. So where are they dancing? Dancing. Where are they doing this little like martial display in a sense? Outside. In the masjid. In the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ. Probably in the roda. actually when you think about it. Where is the roda? like this garden from the gardens of paradise? That's the most important place in the masjid of the Prophet them? Where is it? There's a garden from the gardens of paradise between my house and the mimbar. Between my house and the pulpit, right? That's the roda. If they're standing in the house of the prophet, so I send them, and they're watching this. It's happening right there, not only in the masjid, in the roda of the prophet alone wasallam. In this garden, from the gardens of paradise. He mentions this here. This is all summarizing what's mentioned here. He also mentions that there was an annual grappling examination of the young companions, which was overseen by the prophet alone wasallam himself. So part of this is to understand, like, when they would go out to these battles and stuff and these wars, their resources are limited. Even you might recall in the, um, the battle of Hunain, I think it was Hunain, came up last week too. Right after the conquest of Mecca. And they're going to go out to Hunain in this battle. But they just conquered Mecca. They didn't go back to like get all their weapons and stuff like that. So they borrowed weapons. Like there was a man in Mecca. They went to him and they were like, we need weapons and things. So they borrowed them. He's like, you can't have them. He's like, we're going to borrow them, give them back to you. He's like, okay, it's fine. Here's like a hundred chain mail. Here's some swords Stuff like that SubhanAllah So My point in this is like When they go out to a battle You don't have endless resources So it's not like You just send out everyone They're gonna send out everyone They're a liability They don't have resources To arm them And stuff like that right So he's saying that The Prophet Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam This was a serious matter So they used to do this Even in, I think it's in the battle of Uhud There were some young companions Of the Prophet Sallallahu alayhi wa They wanted to go to the battle And the Prophet was like No you're too young To go to the battle and they were like, no, watch and they like actually fought He's like they wrestled. They had a little exhibition match. And the Prophet was like, Okay, you're fine. Like you're you're ready, you can go to this battle, Near 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 the masjid uh, is called Masjid al-Sabak. Like I mentioned, I think it came up last week as well. There are many things that happen in the life of the Prophet Sallallahu send them. Later on they become masajid. So uh, actually it was the other week, like Masjid al Fat when they had um, the Battle of the Trench, there was a place the Prophet Wasallam would go, he'd pray, he'd make dua, right? And then they won the battle. So afterwards, the companions of the Prophet when they had a need, they would go to that same place on the same day and time that the Prophet Wasallam went there to make that dua. And they would pray to Raka'ah and they would make their dua. And then eventually a masjid got built there. These people would go, this is the Masjid al you know, There's masjid all around Medina like this these different things that happened in the time of the Prophet and So this place, is called the, it's basically called the Masjid of the Racetrack. Or like the, the track. It's basically the Masjid of the track uh, where the Prophet they would have like, it was a dusty portion of land used for combat training, for horse racing, so on and so forth. They would have horse drills that they would do around there and stuff. And this is the area that was known for that and later on it became this uh, place. Also in the markets, usually if you're like in a small towns, then people will come from different places and they have market gatherings right like a big pop-up market and uh, and other things that happen in the time of the prophets and a part of this would be like people bring their wares they sell things other people will bring their poetry there are big poetry exhibitions in these places as well then of course there will be battles like a little wrestling match a little thing this is part of how uh, people would do things so across the muslim lands now it's only half an hour wow across the Muslim world. <coughs> I think it's fair to say that the people amongst the Muslims peop- Muslim peoples who are most well known for wrestling are the Persians. Now wrestling is a, is a major part of Persian culture from before Islam, through Islam and up to today. You know, uh, there's many things that were written about it in the ancient tales, in the, in the time of the Prophet's tales, after tales, but wrestling is a very, very big part of Persian culture. They used to have these places called Khané. Uh, which is like a house of strength. You know, it's basically like a gym. But the people in the neighborhood, you know, the men, they would go to this place. There's usually like a pit in the middle, It's like a ring, and you go there and you do your exercises and you do some techniques and you you st- you stretch and you do whatever else you do. And then you have your little matches, and people would uh, train on that. One of the good things, one of the good things about wrestling which also makes it like really um, more useful for training, in a sense, is one of the, one of the teachers, one of the shiuch, he said, if you were to split up the, the martial arts of the Prophet Wasallam, there's basically two categories. One category is, how do you restrain someone without hurting them? And the other category is, how do you kill them? This is the only point, like, right? If you really, like, just break it down for a second. You don't fight for fun. So either you're, you're trying to restrain the person so that nobody gets hurt, or you're trying to kill the person. So you have two options. So you have like sword fighting, spear fighting, archery. It's one category. And you have wrestling. And wrestling in some ways could be kind of both because maybe you're neutralizing them so that you could do the other thing. Or maybe you're just neutralizing the situation, trying to control it, right? Uh, So one of the good things about wrestling is that people can do it for extended periods of time without hurting each other, right? So like if you're training a a martial art that requires striking, there's only so much striking you can do to each other before somebody gets hurt, right? But in wrestling and the grappling arts, you can grapple and you can wrestle with each other for extended periods of time. You can try different things. You can learn different things without anybody actually getting hurt, right? And without hitting anyone in the face. Because in the sunnah, we try to avoid hitting anyone in the face, right? So this is also one of the reasons why grappling is an important martial art in that sense. Uh, It's narrated that during the caliphate, this is an interesting paragraph. It's narrated that during the caliphate of Muawiyah, the Roman Empire had sent two Herculean athletes, one being particularly tall and wide, the other powerfully built with an immense grip to measure their strength against the soldiers of the Muslim army. Upon consulting with Amr ibn al-As, عنه, it was decided that Qais, son of the companion Sa'd ibn Ubadah, would battle with the tall one and Muhammad ibn Hanifiyah, son of Ali ibn Abi Talib, عنه, with the Roman powerhouse. As the caliph and the other dignitaries took their seats, the powerhouse walked across the field, meeting Muhammad ibn Hanifiyah face to face. The challenge was set. Each man would extend their arm out while remaining seated and resist being pulled up by their opponent. It's not always a, like, you know, it doesn't have to be something that's crazy violent or something. They sit down, two people are sitting down, put your arm out, and you see who can lift the other person. It's interesting, right? In the time of the prophets, so I sent them, there were other ones they used to do. Like, there were people who were known for, if they stand on a piece of leather, and the the the, 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 the exercise is, person stands on a piece of leather, and you try to pull it out. And there were people who somehow, if you, they stand on that, nobody could pull them off. They're just like that, that firm in their stance. So this is the thing. See who can lift who. The Roman, opting to be first, grabbed the arm of Muhammad ibn Hanifiyyah as he sat fixed on the ground. Despite his efforts, the Roman was unable to move him from his place and acknowledged his weakness. Then Muhammad took his turn and with a dynamic jerk, immediately lifted the Roman into the air and threw him to the ground. This is something that happened, right? During the Abbasid dynasty, there was a resurgence of physical and sporting culture, with the caliphate's capital Baghdad hosting lengthy horse tracks, maidans, horse polo, running, wrestling, and archery. Polo, by the way, like, now we think about polo like horse polo. It's like a rich people's sport, right? (laughs) It's like the rich people do that thing. Because why? Because the royalty used to do that thing. So they learn what they need to learn in order to go to battle. You learn how to control the horse you learn how to keep your balance you learn how to move in different ways so on and so forth and then you use those techniques when you go into battle right and now we just look at it like hmm, that's that thing. years later at the time of the Buyid caliph and Mustaqfi wrestling tournaments were held in public squares along with swimming races in the tigris river leading to the Buyid emir dola hosting regular wrestling competitions wrestling matches of the fourth 10th century held at the bidding of the Marzieh Dola at Baghdad presented a remarkable scene. On the day of the wrestling competition, a tree was set up in the race course, with prizes containing valuable things hanging, like g- bags of money. Musicians would come and they play music and stuff like that. And then these like, it was like an Olympics, right? People would go and they engage in these different uh, spectacles. Wrestling, of course, also, but it's not the Persians only. Uh, the Indian, like South Asia, has actually a very long-standing tradition of, of wrestling and martial arts. Uh, the Turkish areas of course Have uh, long standing Wrestling traditions as well So basically you're going to find it everywhere It's an interesting point He mentions here, the grandson of the renowned Indian Hadith scholar Shaulullah Ad-Dahnui So Shaulullah Ad-Dahnui Is a really interesting person Just to give kind of like some scholarly context Shaulullah <coughs> Like a lot of the scholarly tradition of the subcontinent goes back to him. All the different brands, all the different strand, strands, everyone goes back to him. You look at the chains of narration, the books of hadith, the books of knowledge, everyone goes back to him. So he's a very central figure. Shawaliallah <laughs> Allah of Delhi. Shah Ismail, that's his grandson, Shah Ismail. And they were a family of scholars, like his Allah's father and his children, and his children's children. There are like several generations of people who are scholars. Shah Ismail was known for his proficiency in the prophetic martial arts and regularly swam over 200 kilometers from Delhi to Agra along the Yamuna River. Okay. Not content with his literary attainments, he wanted to be a true man of action and acquired high proficiency in all sorts of martial arts. He was a fine rider, clever marksman, fearless lancer, and skillful wrestler. Okay, and then there's other martial forms, at different styles. Of course, the Mongolian armies, they used to emphasize horsemanship and archery and wrestling along with that. Uh, The Muslims who were in China also had like a very strong wrestling tradition that became incorporated into the martial arts of the Chinese armies and stuff like that. Uh, There's many interesting points in here. Uh, Shalibi, who was like a very famous Ottoman travel writer and stuff, has a lot of things where he talks about wrestling. Uh, I've actually dug them up before. They're not in here. I don't know where I saved them, but there's some really interesting du'as and things. Like they had set du'as that they would say before a wrestling match. You know, it's like Bismillah, Salatul Asama, They like specifically mention Sayyidina Aliallahua in the du'a, because Sayyidina Ali was like this great martial figure, right? So then they mention him, they make dua for him, and they invoke his name, and stuff like that. And many of the Ottoman khulafa' actually, like the Ottoman sultans, many of them were proficient wrestlers. Like very they like wrestle with their retinue. Their internal retinue, people would like challenge matches with each other and they'd have matches. and It's very interesting. Now listen to this story. The Ottoman Empire lived for war. Every governor in this empire was a general. Every policeman was a janissary. Every mountain pass had its guards. And every road had a military destination. The most willowy, willowy and doe-eyed page boy. This must be anonymous in my <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's always interesting to see that, you know, like that Orientalism little thing. What is that about? The most willowy willowy and doe eyed page boy. (laughs) Was a dab hand with the jarret or the bow, and well versed in wrestling, the king of Ottoman sports. At the siege of Baghdad in 1683, when the Persians demanded the contest be decided by single combat, they put up a Herculean warrior from their ranks, and Sultan Mehmed IV took him on himself. So they put forth, they said, okay, let's start the battle with the one on one thing. So they put forth their biggest warrior. The Sultan is the one who went out. It wasn't like send someone else. The Sultan went out himself, took him on himself, splitting the Persian champion's mailed head in two with a single blow. Mailed like he's wearing chain mail. Split his head in two with a single blow. Uh, In recent times, the success of several Muslim MMA fighters originating from the Caucasus, a land of mountainous and rugged terrain, has inspired a new generation. Many attribute their harsh and indefatigable combative style of fighting to the land from which they originate. Dagestan specifically but the Caucasus more generally this area has experienced lots of conflict and they have very strong warriors we've mentioned before uh, I mentioned earlier Emir Abdul Qadr who fought the French in Algeria at the same time period actually and they actually met each other and, uh, in, in this region of Dagestan Chechnya and stuff there was um, um, SubhanAllah <laughs> my mind just went completely dark. what was his name? someone tell me his name the the, the the sheikh Who was the head of the fighting and the resistance against the Russians Amir? Huh? Nobody knows his name? Mm-hmm. Huh? Is this is too much hate for me to handle <laughs> I'm gonna like disappear into the earth right now It's too much A'ib, I can't remember his name Astaghfirullah <laughs> for wa sallam Anyways again he was similar to Amir Ibn Qadir In that he was a sheikh Of knowledge And a sheikh of spirituality And the leader of the resistance So they say like one time that The, the Russians attacked where he was And they, the Russians actually Narrate this They surrounded him And they thought like okay we got him And then he jumped over them Killed all the guys who were around him And disappeared into the mountains They were like Who is this guy? Disappeared into the mountains and Like and, you know, Amazing This is all modern stuff by the way It's not like 7,000 years ago or something Like 100 years ago 200 years ago type thing um, I don't like. Shaif? I can't remember huh? Was it Sheikh Mansur bin Zayed? No Or Sheikh Sha- Shaman? Huh? Shaman? Imam Shaman That's the one Imam Shaman yeah, that one. Imam Shaman. Look him up. Amazing. <coughs> You'll see them, they, it's a very interesting cultural thing actually. By the way, like Muslims they love turbans. Wherever Islam went, the Muslims always wore turbans. The men, of course. They wore turbans. You go to a region, turbans aren't people will be like, Oh, the turbans are Arabian thing. Okay, so why are the Muslims wearing turbans in Indonesia? Because of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi wore a turban. They like the turban. You look at these these uh, in the Caucasus region, you see it. You'll see it. If you look up pictures of Imam you see it. They have like that Russian-type hat, the like big wool hat thing. And there's a huge turban tied around it. So it's like the local kind of hat, and then we'll tie it. But we're not going to give up the turban. We tie the turban around the hat. It's beautiful actually, subhanAllah. You'll see it. You look at the pictures, you'll find it. This region actually, in the modern period, have won an extre- extraordinarily... disproportionate amount of championships in wrestling like they're known to produce the wrestlers Okay, so that leads us to part 2 which is martial warriors among the companions of the Prophet inshallah we'll continue here next time talk about some of the companions of the Prophet from the men and from the women who were known for their martial prowess and then from there there's like another small section and then we get to Imam As-Suyuti's collection which is just hadith actually it's maybe like a handful of hadith it's very short so we'll continue next time. we Any comments or questions, observations anyone has? Yes. martial arts women that can teach or Um I don't know. Okay. But I would imagine there are. I know there's um And there are people who like If you push them They'll help you So like in our community there's two places um, At least There's a number actually Like in the Muslim community we have some people that are actually really advanced Uh, There's Empire uh, There's a gym called Empire Training grounds That Omar Sabha runs with his brothers And he's like I don't know what degree Black belt But like if Muslim women want to train there and stuff He'll accommodate it and do it in a way. The other thing with like jujitsu and stuff is that you're largely covered. So even if a woman wears like full hijab, you could kind of like, there's a way you can dress for jujitsu, even if men are around, but you're training with women and stuff. You could pull it off in a sense. And when you say archery, I've seen those women that. I automatically mean, talking old-fashioned ones? Yeah? Okay. Traditional bow, yeah. Do you ever do it? Me? Does, does, does the community ever do it? We were going to, and uh, COVID happened, number one. And then the second thing that happened is we had a brother who came to the medias all the time who was actually very tr- proficient with the traditional bow. He even went into competitions that people would come with crossbows and stuff, and he would go with the traditional bow and compete. But he moved recently to the bay, so we lost him. He wanted to do some stuff. and like, you know, But inshallah, you know, I tried to do something as things are like getting more open and stuff. Inshallah, it would be nice to do that. What about firearms? Firearms is kind of like a mod- legitimate modern extension of the bow. Uh, you know, firearms training is a good thing. Alhamdulillah we have Second Amendment. There's no reason to not uh, to not at least have some knowledge of it. I know that people take different perspectives on this, and Californians are generally very, some Californians, I should say, very much lean to one side on this. But uh, I'll tell you one thing: when I was in the middle of the Egyptian Revolution. I really wish that I had a gun and I wish that I knew how to use it. So, you know, hopefully you never have to use it, but doesn't mean it's not good to know it, you know? Someone had their hand up over here, yeah? Uh, is there an example or a story you could think of of someone in the time of the Prophet where they had the right to, to execute, to kill, to, to name or whatever, but the Prophet preached patience, mercy, to pull back at the last stroke? That the Prophet preached it, I mean, if they said they were Muslim or something like that, there's several incidents like that, where someone would be like in the middle of the battlefield, and they're about to get killed, and then they say muhammad rasulullah. and they're like, "What do you mean?" You know, (laughs) and the Prophet specifically said that if someone does that, you can't attack them. You know, they're like, "Well, they're faking it and stuff." He's like, "It doesn't matter if they're faking it. If they said that, you can't attack them." So there's incidents like that Otherwise I don't know There probably are But I don't know that one comes to mind for me There's the famous story of Sayyidina Ali Who was in the battle And he was going to kill the guy And uh, the guy spit on him And then he stopped He's like what are you doing He's like well when I was first fighting you I was fighting you for the sake of Allah But after you spit on me it became about me So then I stopped And it's said that the guy actually became Muslim in that context. But it's not exactly your question. But it's kind of related. Um, But generally speaking, you know, like forgiveness is good and peace is good. And there is a rule, like in the Qur'an, you can fight if you have to fight. But if people are willing to have peace, then you have to accept that. You can't just like you know, keep going because you feel like it, type thing, you know? Um. What about unconditional? Does Islam accept unconditional surrender? Like, to push for unconditional surrender, where the the, the opponent wants conditional surrender for conditional peace, but no, you want unconditional surrender, you surrender entirely. I'm sure this happened in many conquests of Islam, where they come to a city, and they conditionally surrender, but maybe the Muslim general keeps pushing for unconditional surrender? I don't know. i this. this. is outside my realm of expertise. But that's an interesting question. I would imagine that a lot of it would come down to strategy. You know, it would, it would be left to the strategic decision of the person. Um, but... For example, like generally, it wasn't the thrust of Muslim civilization that you destroy the place that you're conquering It wouldn't destroy things right? As much as you cannot destroy, you don't destroy right? And let life go on as much as you can You don't just like wipe out a people and take over an island and destroy the entirety of the indigenous population Or wipe out indigenous peoples and stuff like that That wasn't the way that Muslim conquests went They were conquests, but generally I mean, pre-modern thing is very different, too. Like, most of these villages and stuff that got conquered, they didn't really... Like, their life was very detached from central governments. So, they'd be like, okay, we're in charge now. They're like, okay, we'll just pay our tax to someone different and you're going to give us security. Like, okay, fine. It wasn't so, like... pre-modern world is very different. It was like Afghanistan? Like, what happened recently? Brilliant. New governments took over... I don't know. Anything related to Afghanistan, I usually refrain from comments on. Afghanistan is very complicated. You, can, complicated. you can ask the Afghans their opinions. It's very complicated. Ask Yamaha and ask others. You know, ask the people what they think. Alhamdulillah. Alright, anyone else have anything? Yes? I don't know if this is answering for this question earlier, but I think, uh, well obviously you would tell the story better, but he was asking about if like, the Prophet ever showed mercy to like people who wronged him. I think the first story that came to mind was like the story of five after he's, you know, it was narrated to be <coughs> one of the worst, if not the worst name of his life. was like, He was like shunned and humiliated, <coughs> throwing rocks at, he was bleeding under a tree, and Jabril asked him if he would, if Allah should punish these people, and Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said no. You, you would tell the story better than I did. But, um, that's a, that's a but story. we <laughs> good. He's <laughs> yeah, shown mercy on of people um, yeah. in the hopes that eventually they would look at his actions and his mercy towards them and perhaps you know accept Islam or listen to a message or change their behavior or their mannerisms in which they interact with. Definitely. There's many stories like that. I understood the question to be related to the context of battle, but I, there's many stories like that. Sometimes in the prophets, I and then people tried to attack him. He forgave them. Lots of stuff. You know, there's many, many examples like that, definitely. Anyone else? Yes. With race, uh, I know you course horseback right, so I want to hear your experience, because that way it's kind of scary, it's dangerous, you know? Yeah. You can't be on your phone. It's not like self-driving. Yeah, it's, it's not self-driving. <laughs> you're not on your phone. Your <laughs> you know, like, what happened to you? Like, did anything serious happen? Were you in danger? Like, hopefully you weren't good, you know? No, great. I was great. <laughs> you got a hug. You? I was scared. Yeah, I was scared, yeah. but Alhamdulillah that okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> I Part of the challenge for us was that we went horseback riding with the family that we know in in Colombia. So the people who were taking us, they didn't speak English. Oh. So it wasn't like the guy who was with me. I could talk to him and like ask him <laughs> questions and stuff. I couldn't. It was like you just got to figure it out. Oh, and assume that if I'm about to die, he's going to help me. <laughs> um, just, everything was fine. Uh, how long were you on the horse for? No, no, maybe like an hour or something. I was with myself and my wife and the brother's wife. He went somewhere else because he does horseback riding all the time. Mm. So he like went to his own area to do his own thing. I was like, bro, you're supposed to be with us. Like, <laughs> he left us and then, and then the kids had like their own... The kids also went horseback riding. So like, my, my daughter went horseback riding and my son. And that was actually their favorite thing of the whole trip. Were they on, like, baby horses?